The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com. Try out some ethical, paid-for porn for free with none of those hidden fees or secret subscriptions when you sign up at HotMovies.com and use the promo code MANHOR. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all the emotionally closed off he-men, dude bros, and lost boys. Hey, you can cry, dude. It's okay. I promise. This is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Oi, hi. Welcome to the show. This week, we've got on uh, the co-host of the Man Amongst Men podcast, Dominic Cortuccio. It's quite the last name. Healthy Italian last name, Cortuccio. Fellow Jersey boy like myself. We're talking about the man stuff today. I'm actually really excited about it. This is a good one, uh, and I can't wait to share him with y'all in a little bit. Uh, but right now, before I bring on Dominic, I actually want to introduce you to another awesome person that I've connected with recently, Rachel Klachewski. She's the co-host of the Sexistential You podcast. We recorded an awesome bonus episode coming out tomorrow all about sex therapy and how to find like a poly-friendly therapist and stuff like that. Really good one. But I wanted to give her an opportunity to tell y'all a little bit about herself and about her show, Sexistential You. All right, uh, I'm here right now with Rachel Klachewski, uh, sex therapist and co-host of the podcast Sexistential You. Hello. Hello again. And kudos on getting the last name right. You know, I was just very nervous. There there have been some guests where I've just been like, oh, man, I don't even know. I think I didn't even introduce one one time because I was too nervous about getting the name wrong. <laughs> so we just did the whole podcast. I never did the and I'm talking right now with because like, you know, what, I'm going to look up how to say this later and then I'll just say it in the beginning of the show. That was, that was fair. <laughs> that was fair. You know, some people add a T. To mm-hmm. Klitschewski. Yeah. And so throughout high school, I was called Baby Clit because my older brother was Clit. No. Yeah. No, that was great. I yeah. love the Clit. The Clit's the best part. You want to be called Baby Clit? I didn't mind. Okay. I didn't mind. And it was my first entrance to sex education. I had to <laughs> tell everybody what a Clit was. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you're a Clit. Actually, no. But here's what Clit is. And they'd be like, wow, you're a very well-informed nine-year-old. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Well, very cool. Well, we just did a really wonderful bonus episode talking about sex therapy, where you can uh, find like, you know, poly friendly therapists, king friendly therapists and the like, and a, a little bit about, you know, how you got into all that. But I wanted you to tell my listeners a bit about your podcast, Sexistential You. Yeah, so... um Academia and education is a gatekeeping organization. If you don't have the money or the time or the energy or just the academic ability because it's so absurd, um, the expectations in academia are mm-hmm. absurd, you're not going to get a decent sex education. You're not going to get pleasure-centered sex education. So we created an entire curriculum around something called the Circles of Sexuality, which was created by Dennis Daly in 1981. It's an all-encompassing um, perspective of sexuality as part of our identities mm-hmm. from where we come from, you know, and how we live our lives in the world. And so we broke that down and we decided to discuss it and offer pleasure-centered, responsible sex education to everyone. It's dialogue between me and my co-host, Janice Luna, mm-hmm. and, who, and we're both sex educators and therapists. 
And, and both very fun tea dates. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, y'all were very fun to hang out with. <laughs> I had fun. Um, <laughs> so she was just like, oh, man, that fucking comedian. <laughs> no, no, no. I really enjoyed I our projecting? conversation. <laughs> I enjoyed how you communicated that you were afraid to be called an expert. And it reminded me of how frightening that was the first time I was called an expert. I was like, shit, now I can't fuck up. Now I have to be on it all the time. Um, but I do fuck up and I apologize and I follow up with the fuck ups and I've heard you do that. So lots of respect. And you also uh, are a sex therapist. And I guess I think there's a lot, there is some confusion about what sex therapy is because some people, for some people it's sitting down and it looks like any other therapy session for other people. It's like this hands-on gloves on, you know, tutorial, depending (laughs) on like what your what you do, what your practice is. And a lot, I feel like a lot of people will call it sex therapy of some sort, um, but they all look so different. So, like, I guess what is yeah, sex what's the therapy? Yeah. yeah. So, most people who call themselves sex therapists are mental health professionals. Okay. Um, the hands-on stuff—that's sex surrogacy. It is magnificent work. Mm. It's body work that you know I have you know all this respect for because i couldn't do it is so sex surrogacy which is uh i don't know i don't know how great the movie is from that community uh, but i enjoyed watching the sessions yes it at least introduced me to this concept because i didn't even know it was real um yeah. but sex surrogacy is fascinating one is it still it's still legal like i know it there's exists. been some con- controversy around it it exists and they're it, they have to be very delicate with how they maneuver in different states Mm -hmm. um there is a caveat where they typically have to work with a licensed mental health professional for something called the triadic model okay uh, which is between the client the surrogate and the therapist um it is happening it does exist um it's you know do you want to say for any because i don't think we've actually said what it is but for anyone who doesn't know what sex surrogacy is so this is for people who do need a little bit more hands-on work that sometimes and it it's much faster than mental health therapy for certain issues such as erectile dysfunction or people who have never been able to you know have that interaction with other people there's other versions of body work like cuddlists you know will just be there to cuddle you Mm. and help you have that space with having to fill it in with words and learning how to just be present um, for people that don't need, you know, help with erectile dysfunction or uh, delayed ejaculation, you know, or any other version of that. Also for sexual pain that is non-medical. Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not doing it justice because yeah, yeah. there's a but lot basically more it's like it. you but you are it, there's a physical component for some yes. people like actually having sex with the client or some sort of sexual activity. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, intercourse can be part of it, but it's not always part of it. Um, These are not, I mean, they are sex workers, but they're not sex workers. They prefer to call themselves body workers because Mm -hmm. they don't want to be flagged, you know, or, you know, or get kicked off of social media for soliciting. Which sucks because like what I see, I see it as, sex work and i that shouldn't be a problem and they should be able to just say what they do and what they're doing and i have to find out weird like code words to put in their ad and and most of them are not virtue signaling they just want to have their jobs right so they're not like i'm different than sex workers they just can't call themselves that like i gotta i gotta eat right now you know exactly i'll show up to the rally but like right now i gotta i also gotta be able you know put food in my mouth right 
Um, and, you know, I like that you brought up the sessions because it did expose the need. The problem is that they chose somebody who's in an iron lung, you know, and there are people that are able-bodied and have all of these other, you know, resources available who do need surrogates 100 percent. i just feel like when you put the guy in the iron lung you're like well he definitely needs it right. at least we've now cracked open and and i mean i'm not saying like you don't get yes. this i'm just saying there's a lot sometimes i get into some tips with people in like sex pause land where i go like where they don't understand how to speak to um, to mainstream people oh uh, yeah it's like sometimes i feel like at some point if you go deep enough down the hole you forget how to Oh yeah, you know I, I mean? I've been there. I'm like, oh yeah, shit. People don't don't think right. <laughs> so it's like someone could go like, why does it have to be in the iron lung? It's like because that cracks open the idea, the possibility of someone needing this. Yes. And as soon as we found one reason why someone would need it, now there might be other ones. You know, you with able bodied people in and the whatnot. 70s, they actually had you know sex as as. Um, what's the as like physical therapy mm. for people with all sorts of physical disabilities or just for like seniors like they would have a room for sex and they would have people that would help them have sex if their bodies were a little bit you know not as capable as they were when they were younger mm -hmm. this existed and they had professionals who helped them do it and now we lost it because of reagan basically <laughs> and we haven't gotten it back mm. in 30 years you gals talk about this a lot. Uh, things like this, just like we just yes, did now on exactly. your show, which they should go check out. Um, Rachel, where can they go find y'all? So they can find me at sexistential.u on Instagram, on Twitter. They can email us at sexistentialu at gmail.com. They can find me at Rachel underscore sex underscore therapy on Instagram, rachelsextherapy.com, and Rachel Klachewski on Facebook. And Rachel, thanks for uh, coming by. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Definitely go check out her show and uh, obviously go get access to that bonus episode coming out tomorrow. Did you know there are over 100 bonus episodes of the Man Whore Podcast available exclusively on Patreon? Yeah, if you're done binging the show and you're all like, oh, I just, I just wish there was more Man Whore Podcast. There is. Yeah. All $5 and up members get access to near weekly bonus shows featuring people just like Rachel Klachewski or extended conversations with that week's guest. Gain access to all of that extra content. All of it. Ooh, the extra content. Over at Patreon. What was that noise that I did? I don't do that, do I? Okay. Gain access to all that extra content at patreon.com slash podcast. Not ready to pay for extra content yet? I don't really know what's the matter with you, but you know what? We're all on our own personal journeys. You should still follow my Patreon page for the monthly free bonus episode. Yeah, free. It's totally free. No credit card needed. We've got Nina Hartley talking about beta men. We got Andrea Allen determining if I'm a sex addict. And we've even got a conversation with my seventh grade crush. Go to patreon.com slash podcast and click the follow button so you don't miss that next free show. One more time, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. And now it's time for the fan whore appreciation moment. Okay, this is the part of the podcast where I like to give a, a few thank yous, a few shout outs to some members of my fan whore community on Patreon. Shout out to Ian Gent. You know, hey, say hi sometime, buddy. 
I'd love to get to know you better. All I know right now is that you're awesome because you're supporting a great show. Thank you so much to the Arbiter. That's what he calls himself, the Arbiter. Trucking down in New Orleans. Keep trucking like the dude man. Ah, keep on trucking, buddy. It was, uh, it was cool talking to you on the phone a few weeks back. That was fun. I want to say thank you to Sky Brown, a fellow Hamilton nut. Welcome back to the crew. And a big thank you to Brady Bell. Um, hey, Brady, your MySpace is still up. I, I don't know if you knew that. I just I kind of want to let you know. Yeah, it's kind of like getting caught with your fly down. You're just like, oh, no, my MySpace is out. Thanks for telling me. So just, you know. Anyone else remember trying to delete their MySpace? It was it, it was very complicated. And I was like, what am I? Am I trying to get access to state secrets? Or am I trying to get down this stupid social media page? I don't know. But thank you to Ian, Arbiter, Sky, Brady, and all the members of the Champagne Room and the Peep Show. And you all know how to become a member. Patreon.com slash Podcast, baby. Okay. How many times can I say that URL in a three-minute span? Don't test me. And now it's time for Dominic Quartuccio. Uh, this what this is great. I really love this one. Um, I had a I had a blast talking to Dominic. You know, I uh, I got pitched him by a um his publicist, and I'll be honest. Whenever I am pitched these like man self improvement people, they do seminars or workshops, or they wrote a book on like how to be a man, how to be a better man, manliness, manhood. Grr. I'm just like, I'm always, hmm, because I don't know what their deal is. And I think also because I just have a little bit of a skeptical bias towards men in general, but that's my own baggage. Made sense to have them on, but I, I wasn't sure what kind of conversation we were, we were going to have until I listened uh, to a few episodes of the Man Amongst Men podcast. And I will say this, I was pleasantly surprised. Dude seems like a good guy, trying to be a progressive guy. He's willing to, you know, learn things that he doesn't know. So that's cool and reassuring. Uh, by the way, he's got these, like, beautiful blue eyes I can just get lost in. And so now I kind of understand what it's like to sit across from me. Uh, I was like, oh, is this what everyone's talking about? I'm hypnotized. This is a good one, everybody. Hope you dig it. Dude, I would love to talk to you about that. Because like one of the reasons why I was interested in, in coming on your show is because for so long in my life, and, and for some context, in my history, I spent four years in Sex Addicts Anonymous from mm -hmm. 2013 to 17. We could definitely dive into that. But for such a long period of time in my life, anything sexually oriented for me was like off limits. It was taboo. There was shame and guilt around it. And I, especially when I was in recovery, I started to meet people who were in the sex positive world. And I became deeply jealous of how all people like you who were like so tapped into their sexuality, who was having casual sex, who was speaking openly about sex, speaking openly about your fantasies. I'm like, why can't I, like, where, where was that all my life? Mm -hmm. Where was this acceptance all my life? And I think that for a big part of the work that I'm doing, I'm trying to find my way, like building mm -hmm. a bridge to, to worlds that like you operate in. So I can go back to a lot of these other people who sure. are suffering in their own. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is like, uh, the, the thing that puts me off, I think, with some of the male stuff, the, the organizations and the coaching and, and some of the workshops, I just see there's the fact that it's almost as if like 
it like feels like low level slut shaming. It feels like now I'm not saying all those guys are doing all the things in the healthiest of ways, but the approach a lot of them would come at was like, well, there's too much porn or porn ruins intimacy and it does this. And I go like, no, it doesn't. These guys just suck at it. <laughs> These guys like their usage of it sucks. Yeah. The way yeah. in which they're interacting with yeah. the porn or with sex or with a dating app isn't healthy, but it doesn't mean the thing is unhealthy and it's not the action of doing it too much. That's even unhealthy to me. It's the reasons the reason that you why do it, we're using which it. is something I, I did like that. I was hearing a lot on when I was listening to your show for a few episodes, it was yeah. uh, there was a lot of like, why are you jerking off? Yeah. It, it's, it's the, the, the issue the, the term that we use for that is drifting. Like mm -hmm. if you are drifting in your behavior, drifting is the opposite of being intentional, basically. Such a bro way to describe it. You're <laughs> drifting, bro. You're drifting, dude. And, and like you, <laughs> and that that like when you're drifting, when you don't know why you're watching porn, and if porn is something that you're watching all day long, and it's standing in the and it's getting in the way of your intimate connections, mm -hmm. well, then of course, like you're not using it in the right way. And most guys just have never even stopped to think about how they're using it. Brian and I on our podcast, which is called The Man Amongst Men. We make it very clear we're not porn shames, but we, we are not porn shamers. I spent four years not watching porn because that's what SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous, told me to do. That, that they told me that abstinence was right. Mm. And while I, I have a lot to thank SAA for, that started to feel kind of like another sh like another shadow shame perspective on top of the shame that you that probably already, already have it was just a different kind well what brought you to sex addicts anonymous is it is it different from sex and love addicts anonymous or just yeah okay yeah so so sex and love addicts anonymous is typically like 50 50 men and women okay. and that for, you'll have like a mix of people who say they're addicted to sex but also it's like addicted to love mm -hmm. sex addicts anonymous is is primarily men like okay. in the rooms that i was going to it was like 99 percent men every once in a while a woman walk in there how does that go <laughs> how so when a woman walks um, in yeah is it a bunch of fuck i mean you have a group a literal group of sex addict men and a, and a woman walks in does it just become thirst central yeah you would think like it's but I, not it, really like the guys that are there are there at least the meetings I went to are there to try and help themselves. Okay. Now there were certain men who were definitely triggered. I'd had conversations with them afterwards. Some guys were like, I wish this was men only, but for a lot of the men in the room, it didn't seem to be an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, so, but what, and what brought you there? Like, oh, why? what brought me there? So, um, it was what, 2012. I was finally in the first relationship of my life where I could say I loved someone. Mm -hmm. This woman was beautiful. I loved her. And at the same time, as like we went deeper into love, I felt more and more trapped by the relationship. Mm -hmm. And my patterns of like dealing with emotions, whether it was frustration or anxiety or nervousness or boredom or overwhelm, all of that, the only way I knew how to navigate that was by jacking off, having sex, sexting. It was like my, my only navigation mm -hmm. system for emotions. So while we were going deeper, I felt more and more boxed in by the relationship. And then I started acting out. What was the boxed in feeling? Yeah, there was a few things, man. Like this, this concept of what if we get married, have kids and we have eternity together. And I also felt like I had no options other than monogamy at that mm -hmm. time. That started to feel really heavy to me. And, and then also just these uh, like things that had nothing to do with our relationship, like business. If I was stressed out, I would use sexting. Like on a Sunday night, before when I had the Sunday scaries, I would sex like five or six different women just to deal with that. It had nothing right. to do with her. In the relationship. Even while I was in the relationship. <laughs> right. We don't want to be stopped from doing the thing 
that we know we need to be stopped from. That we probably need to be stopped <laughs> from. Like, yeah. And, yeah. and so we don't bring it up in the first place. That's why a lot of guys don't even have the conversation about porn with mm. their partner. You know what I do is I uh, I talk about the thing incessantly so no one tries to change it because <laughs> they either think I'm kidding or they're like, he seems really... Like, I talk about being a gambling addict all the time. Uh, I, less people try to stop me than if I just occasionally bring up bad moments. And it's documented on all of your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. social media. It's like Billy just... And now it just seems cute to a lot of people. And then my addiction gets to stay where it wants to be, <laughs> un, un, uh, unchallenged. I hope you didn't bet on the Jets tonight, my friend. I have them plus 10. Oh, Jesus. I think, I think the Patriots. You yeah, to, will plus you ever 10. Learn? Will you ever learn? Plus 10. Plus 10? If it was plus, plus 20, maybe. I don't know, man. They're feeling good with Darnold there. Um, so, so did she catch the, did you catch the sexting the other people? December 28, 2012. Oh, gosh. I know the date. We were just, we just checked into the hotel. I went to the bathroom. I think I took a shower or something like that. And I came out. She was pale in the face. Mm-hmm. She was like standing, right, like picture opening the bathroom door and then boom, she was yeah. standing there, pale in the face, holding my cell phone. And she threw it at me, didn't say a word, ran out the door oh, and I geez. knew exactly. And and I'd looked at the the string of text messages and it was just, it was like heartbreaking. It was kind of the, the last thing that any person in a committed relationship would want to see. Mm. And when she came back, my, I threw like my Hail Mary, which was, I think I have a problem. Mm-hmm. I'd thought about it for the past few years that like maybe I had a problem. I'd looked it up online. I'd taken the Sex Addicts Anonymous quizzes. I'd ended up like on that border of maybe, maybe not. And and so I kind of said, I think I got a problem. Hide behind that. And, and that was kind of like my way of staying in the relationship. Mm. And it was only after like two or three months of actually doing therapy and meetings that I... I realized how fucked up my relationship with sex and sexuality was. Mm-hmm. So uh, I needed I needed to to be in there. What What's the feeling when you're sexting the other women? Like what's what's what is it that you're getting there? The only thing I can describe is is like that fucking like titillating high. The going back and forth back in the day when I had like mm-hmm. five, six, or seven women at a time, I'd be sitting on my couch. And it would just be like this neurotic, frenzied, frantic energy that felt like like fireworks going off inside of me, but not, but like the kind of feeling that left me feeling anxious afterwards, unless I jacked off and just like yeah. completely numbed myself out. And I felt depleted after it was over, but it was this like spike in energy followed by a crash. That sounds a lot like it must. You don't have any other like um, like substance addictions, right? No. So neither do I. And I think the way I realized that the gambling wasn't just like a fun thing, but I had to like compare it to what I thought cocaine probably yeah. is. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm feeling tingles in my brain. I feel tingles all over my body. I would imagine if I did cocaine, this is what cocaine is. That's right. Actually, what's interesting is they they said that what eighty percent of addicts have multiple addictions. And well, it's all the same fucking thing in the brain. It just depends on which which substance or which action is given it to you. The same right. thing you get when you get Twitter, Instagram notifications is the same thing when you're fucking you know snorting a line. It's the same receptors, just a matter of like you chose you know Instagram instead. Yeah, you chose Instagram or you chose Snapchat or whatever it is. For me, it was always just around the sex stuff. And were you like really? Po- were you also like popular and hot in high school, or did you grow into that? Uh, I'm curious if women were all over you, like in your coming of age years. You know what was interesting? Like I, I, 
I, I, I always had some female attention uh, and it was never from exactly the women who I, like the girls who I wanted from. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it was kind of, I, I, I don't cause women didn't want me in high school at all. Really? <laughs> Not really. No. Okay. okay. Um, but no, I was, I was curious about that cause, um, go, go on. I'll tell you why. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it was, it was like, I had attention that felt good, but it was never from the ones that I wanted. I was like, pretty cool kid, but I was never the coolest class of kids. Okay. So I always felt like I was on the edge, but I also always felt a little bit like an outsider mm. that stressed me out. That made me feel nervous and, uh, undesirable, I guess you could say. Really? Yeah. Like I've, I, I put on a good show on the surface, but like behind the scenes was always feeling a little bit less than like less than because you're like, Oh, I could be more Man, I could be, could have, be more popular. I could be fingering could be cool. more girls. I could, <laughs> I could be. be right. I didn't have. I, yeah, I didn't have sex at all in high school. Okay. Um, waited until my what sophomore year of college. Okay. Yeah, I just it like it, I could never really get over what I believed that imaginary hump of coolness to be when I was in high school. Well, because I, I asked because I so my brief history would be no female attention other than platonic i was a very much bullied and no self-confidence person until about 17 or 18 and i had a ton of these years where i really i did not get to really bond with men or boys and girls gave me a lot of positive nice warm attention yep. then i started having sex in college and i started having lots of it because i don't know they it was nyu there was a guy deficiency um well done by you buddy yeah, yeah. i don't know that was an accident <laughs> um but i do think a lot about when i think about uh, stuff with the incels when i think about mra guys when i think about um Dudes so caught up in dude broness that they're not even empathizing with women when they're with them. So I think about dudes who are not very good in bed. I uh, I think about all that and I think about where my path diverged because there's not a lot of good reasons why I shouldn't be one of those. You know, I hmm. see the incels like I know the pain underneath it. Pickup artists like I'm like, I know that you Googled the same thing I Googled and I just didn't decide to click that link. And so I'm, I'm always curious, like how I ended up on the path that I ended up on, um, and other men, you know, how they did. Well, Billy, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like in the time where all the guys had kind of abandoned you or bullied you, the women were the ones who validated you and you had a lot of sex when you were in college. So like well, yeah, you actually well, had the approval where a lot of incels, like they don't have, they get rejected. By but they're the so, well, I think they're so caught up in the having the sex thing. And I go like, sex is not going to make you happy because look at me i'm a very sad boy and i have a good chunk of the sex um but i i just think about how like um like how just what what brings you there and i think that during those formative years i developed empathy towards the women because that's who i was hanging out with and that's who i would hear complain about the boys so like when so you, you had a common complaint with each other, like they complain about the boys and you also were complaining about this. So there was a and then I got like, to learn from them, be like, yeah. oh, don't do these things or do do those things. Or that thing is important to a lot of girls okay. where a lot of guys, I don't know, I feel like they don't. Yeah, but dude, it sounds like you were nurtured by girls from a very young age. Whereas, I mean, I, I, I can like the, 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 everything that I've understood about the incels is that they just get rejected by women, mm -hmm. girls, women, their whole life. And there's nothing more destructive to a guy than to like want a woman's affection or yeah. a girl's affection and to be rejected by it. Like there's really, at least in my world. And so like, I can understand the pain of being rejected. And if you're, if you're rejected over and over and over and over again, I'm not 
validating these guys, but I can see how you can end up in a really fucking dark path. Right, same. And I got rejected over and over romantically and sexually by these girls, but I at least had them as friends. And it was because like I was okay not fucking them. Mm. And I think there's a lot of men, wherever dark hole you end up down, I think somewhere there, they're still like placing this high value on getting your dick in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because that's what we've been told makes you a man, right? If you think about masculinity. So Esther Perel, I went to one of her conferences. If you haven't read her books, I mean, she's a relationship Mm -hmm. expert and all that stuff. She, She said that masculinity is not something that we as men are just given. We have to go out and earn it. Mm hmm. We have to earn masculinity over a course of life's actions. So it works a lot like how trust works, right? You can build your entire life. You can spend your entire life building trust and you can lose it in an instant and masculine because it's fragile and masculinity is fragile because it's this moment by moment assessment of, are you a man? Don't be a pussy. Suck it up. Are you going to take that? You're going to finish that beer, you pussy. Like that's like we're, we're on a moment by moment basis proving whether or not we are a man and the whole time can't be gay and the whole time it's like also don't be gay and don't even be fake gay where we're not even when they go like what i'm saying gay not as like gay i mean like just you know weakness it's like you can't even be that either i have a lot of shame around that man because uh how old are you again 30. So you're 30. I'm 40. I grew up during the... And yet we look the same age. No, okay. Um, (laughs) My whole life, I I looked like a fucking baby. You look 30. I look 40. This is ridiculous. (laughs) I'm writing a letter. So so I grew up during the that's gay generation, Mm -hmm. right? Like everything was, don't be gay. You know, that's gay. And and like it came out of our mouths exactly the way that you said it, which is like, no, 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 we're not, you know, we're not prejudiced. It's just don't be gay. You know what I mean? Like stupid (laughs) shit. And... And never recognizing how deep, deeply rooted in my psyche and the men my age's psyche that dropped into around what it meant to be a man. So even something, this came up the other day, I forget who I was talking to about anal pleasure. Mm-hmm. My whole life, like, you know, people have been talking to me about the prostate oh, experience. Yeah. It's a switch. It's not a switch that turns you gay. It's a button that makes sex awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, man, like th- there's some deep rooted resistance to that yeah. because- Anything going up my butt is gay, right? Anything like and and I and I have gay friends. I coach gay people. I've had gay sponsees when I was in SAA. Like I, I'm in sex positive communities now. But there was this blind spot that was so deeply rooted around. But that's not manly, mm-hmm. and that's just something that I've recently on un- like heard about, learned about, and I got a ways to work on. So up until 2013. So you talk about masculinity being something you earn uh, or manhood being something you earn. But so up until 2013, what type of manhood had you earned? My, so my man, like the way that I viewed being a man was someone who was financially successful, who had status and work, who had a lot of potential, who could get women, um, who had social standing of some kind, who had good, strong friends too. Like it, this wasn't all, my, my life wasn't- Verified in- on Twitter, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Legit social media, follow, 10,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I don't want to paint this picture of like, I was this massive superficial dude. I wasn't. Like I, I had depth, but there was like a big blind spot in my life. So f- those were my pictures of what masculinity would be. Mm-hmm. And also don't be weak. Yeah. Like, you know how you talked about like in Hyde at your, yeah. at your at your at your school, you learned how to express emotions. You were given a fucking gift at an early age, man. Like 
Uh, the thing I didn't say before is this men's group I'm going to in about in, I don't know, an hour and a half. When my friends first approached me to do this men's group around emotions and feelings, I'm like, that sounds fucking stupid. Yeah. Why would I, why would I want to spend two hours every Monday night talking about my emotions? The only reason why I joined was because of fear of missing out. Cause two of the guys who brought it to me are guys that like I care deeply about and they're right. badasses. So I joined for FOMO and it has turned out to be one of the most revolutionary experiences of my life. So that that group has been a revolutionary experience. But for me. then what was for you for but then what, what happened at sex? Uh, I, I mean, did you graduate or <laughs> did you did you leave at some point? Yeah, cool. So like I said, I, I spent four years in Sex Addicts Anonymous, 2013 to 17. What I'm grateful for Sex Addicts Anonymous is they helped me to find like a bottom to stabilize. They're very accessible. That's They're how I know available. you left. Because you said that, I said it on your show, and you just said it again. You were like, I'm very, you always start with like, I'm very grateful for sex. I was like, that means you left and you want us to think good things about the thing. I do, I do want you to, because like the, the, there's a lot of goodness to it. And the fact that I, like there was a place I could go that was very easily accessible. Sure. I could find it right away, go find help. The first time, this was actually a, like a, a, an answer to your question. The first time I ever stepped into a room full of men where I didn't feel like I was competing with them mm. was a Sex Addicts Anonymous meeting. <laughs> like I grew up playing sports. I went to college. I was in a fraternity. Um, I, I, I spent my 15-year financial services career in male-dominated environment in sales. So everything was about sizing up who are these other guys, right. who's the alpha dog, who's the beta, who do I have positional power over, who's the biggest threat? Like this goes Are these actual thoughts that go through your head or are they subconscious okay. thoughts? These are both. Oh man, I really miss something in like the growing up as a boy thing. Cause like none of those things, I just think of like, uh, who here hates me? That's, that's all I think. <laughs> I walk into a space like, uh, has someone here blocked me on Twitter? I don't know. Like, I, but I, just I, this thought of like going into a room and being like, <clears throat> and sizing everyone up, that's alien to me. Well, I think you do it probably in a different way. It's kind of like, oh, who who would hate me? Or who, you know what I mean? Like, oh, or or maybe you've already rejected all the men before you've walked in. You're just kind of like, you know what? I don't believe that any of these guys could be friendly to me. I don't believe that any of these guys I could forge a relationship with of any kind. So you mm -hmm. just probably, you probably just shut it down. I don't always do research when I have guests on, but like, I was like, I got to listen just so I don't have my personal bias against men come out if he's actually a decent dude. Well, dude, like, I, I mean, I think it really sucks that your experience growing up was one of being bullied and yeah. being hit, like you rejected and whatever, like whatever you experienced, I mean, that, that sucks. And the fact that that still exists in your world today, like my heart goes out to you because some of the most deep and meaningful relationships of my life are with high caliber men. And mm. I mean, high caliber in all areas of their life. Like they're great to the women in their life. They're great to the men in their life. They're great fathers. They're great business owners. There are guys out there that are like that. There are also a lot of guys who are asleep at the wheel with this stuff. And mm. a lot of guys who, whenever they hear about a women's group, they'll say, oh, that's a man hating group, right? Like they right. automatically assume that there's like women coming together because they hate men. And that's hardly ever the case. So like a big part of my work is, to to find them like those guys who have 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 it wrong and not to attack them sure but to 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 speak in a language where they can actually hear and through extended interaction open them up to a new way of seeing things because i've seen the attack and it just digs them into their into their right. into the like their heels into the ground even further and I'm playing a longer game because some of this shit, man, it, it's what they learn from their fathers. It's what they learn from their mothers. It's what they learn from the environment they grew up in. And some of this stuff, even if they want to change, they don't realize how deep their biases run. Yeah. 
It requires an extraordinary amount of patience, man. Like I yeah. get that. And there've been plenty of times where I just wanted to fucking say what I felt like saying. Yeah. But that's why I think it's so important, like at least for me in my experience, walking into that Sex Addicts Anonymous room for the first time where I did all that sizing up and and feeling like, okay, I'm not as fucked up as these guys are. I remember that was like one of my first judgments was <laughs> right. like, okay, these guys, like, all right, g- give, give me the blueprint. I'm going to clean myself up and I'll be out of here in 90 days, right? Yeah. And that's what I did. Unfortunately, I had a sponsor who you do like ninety day stuff. I, I you do, do like yeah. you do like giving shit up for ninety to hundred days at a time. <laughs> I do, man. I do. I break every patterns fifth ep- every fifth episode is like how to go hundred days without this. <laughs> I know. I'm actually. We I think we just released a podcast today. How to take thirty days off of porn. Yeah, which you may have one. a problem with. I'm on day twenty five four right now. Yeah. Um, I'll go back. He's like trying to avoid certain stuff on my walls. Be like, I don't know. Does that count? Yeah. What do we got? <laughs> I it yeah. yeah, we got like the porn I was in. We got like. Oh, nice. Yeah, we got random shit. Well, like, for, 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 for the record, man, like, our, our, like I think the next two podcasts that are coming out are interviews with Lisa Ann, who's like one Fantastic. of the top 10 most downloaded porn stars. And yeah. She's a friend of mine. Like, she's an awesome human being. So it's not about against porn. It's like... <laughs> Can't, the reasons why, the reasons yes. why right. your titles yeah if you actually listen it's one of those things americans don't like to do we don't like to listen pa- listen or read past the headline the right but when you do listen yeah i go like okay okay this isn't what i thought and and having had you know uh dr david lay on it was like okay that's cred that's great and, yeah because uh, i know one of his big pet peeves is the sex addict stuff yeah the myth of sex addiction was one of the books that he read and i i, I saw him speak at esther perel's conference mm-hmm. and the reason why i, I invited him on the show is because I wish he was the therapist that I had found when I entered Sex Addicts Anonymous because mm-hmm. I don't think I would have spent as much time there. And I think I would have had a much healthier relationship with my sexuality much more quickly if I'd listened to him. And one of the things he says is, if sex addiction is a real thing, then we'd see evidence of that like all over the world, mm-hmm. but we don't see it in many other cultures. It's like really here in the United States and some of the Western cultures. He goes, really what sex addiction is, is... Like the kind of sex that people want that they've been told is morally wrong or reprehensible. Mm. Therefore, like guilt and shame takes the place of that. See, I never got that shame instilled uh, in me as a young kid because no one thought I was going to fuck. They'd be like, oh, he's going to be a virgin. <laughs> we don't need to teach him not to do it because uh, it's not going to be an option. Started from the bottom, bro. <laughs> now you're here. Well done by you, man. Um, wh- how did you end up or how or why did you end up leaving Sex Addicts Anonymous? Yes. Like after my, after two years of being in Sex Addicts for, I was there for four, but after the second year, I felt like I'd plateaued. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I, I learned a lot about my sexual history, the profound impact that my faith and my family and my friends growing up like had on my sexual insecurities or desires or what I was told was right or wrong. And I did a lot of the deep inner work. What were some of those things? So I grew up in a, uh, I went to Catholic school, school. so I'm going to hell basically. Yep. And when I, 13 years old, discovered masturbation, White Men Can't Jump was the movie, Rosie Perez was in it. <laughs> I, she has no idea but like if anyone knows rosie perez it'd be amazing to con- connect with her because she was my first Wait, you learned experience. about masturbation from white man can't jump no i learned how to masturbate by accident by watching white men can't jump oh no i have not seen this movie but uh maybe i need to bump it up my cue how why it, it, like it's it, it, it's it's well, remember i was 13 years old didn't take right. much like victoria's secret catalogs could do it for you back then it was just rosie perez topless like making out with Woody Harrelson. And I rewound and played, rewound and played, rewound and played. I was rubbing my Until dick through the remote. Until you figured it out? <laughs> Didn't, yeah. Like, and all of a sudden, it was just like the force of fucking a freight train 
bang. Yeah. And then like, you know, supernova explosion. And when I came to, my blue sweatpants were soaking wet. Oh. That was my first orgasm. Oh, great. My first orgasm was kind of a wisp of smoke. Uh, so I'm <laughs> good for you for having anything to come out. So yours must have been earlier. I think it was like maybe 11-ish. I must have been 11, maybe 12. Before the balls dropped? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I just remember, like, I remember, like, I came... But like I did not check. Nothing came out. Yeah, yeah. Like I came and had no idea what had just happened. Right. Um, but like Catholicism, what I learned from sure. from that was like I was going to go to hell. My parents were extraordinary people. Sex was like a really uncomfortable thing for them in the house. So like mm-hmm. Friday night movie night was simultaneously like the best and worst experience ever because if a movie happened where a woman's shirt came off, my parents would lunge across the couch and cover my eyes and be like, "Stop! Like don't look." And then the tension in the room, their anger that that like semi-nude scene happened would be palpable for the next 10 minutes in the room. And Mm. it made me feel like I was, fuck, it just was awful. But I wanted to see that. So like there were these messages that whatever I was feeling naturally was not okay. It was sinful. Hide it. And when I discovered masturbation, a la Rosie Perez, it became kind of like my my heroin. I could I could get it anytime I wanted. I started jacking off four or five times a day every single day. I tore my dick apart, dude, in the early days. Like I was that bad. Yeah. Um, because I used it to numb out my emotions. And and all the while I thought that like I was a pervert, I was a freak, I was a bad kid, I was sinful. And that stayed with me for what, the next 25 years until I ended up in Sex Addicts Anonymous, where I unpacked some of my history and how I learned what I learned about my addiction okay. or how I learned about my behaviors. And so, and so you plateaued and you were like, Oh yeah. yeah. Now the plateau was, I looked around the rooms like where these other men were and I'd been in there for two years now. So I was now one of like the elder statesmen in the room. Okay. And I, and I looked around and I couldn't find anyone who had more sobriety than I did in terms of years. Really? And, like very few, there were maybe like one or two men who had had longer yeah. and none of them seemed like they had a loving and healthy relationship with their sexuality. It seemed like it was constantly a struggle, right? Like just white knuckling it. Uh, yeah. Not so much the white knuckling. Not you, like, like it that you say it seemed like they were. It, it just, it, it seemed like the lens through which they, they viewed their sexuality was like, this is bad or wrong. So for example, mm-hmm. if like you're walking down the street and you see a beautiful woman, she takes your breath away. Sometimes through Sex Addicts Anonymous language, it's you just objectified her. And so like count to three or something like that or make an amends or something like that in your mind. Whereas I was now becoming friends with people like Lila and yeah. you know, and people in the, in, in, in the community. And I could see how lovingly and open they were about their sexuality. Had it brought like so much joy and love into their lives. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm missing something because mm. here everything seems like a dark cloud and a negative frame. I want to learn how to love my sexual energy right. and to feel good about it without guilt or shame. And that's and, why I ended up deciding to leave two years later. Okay. Okay. That's good. Because a lot of it, a lot of the time, whether it's Sex Acts Anonymous or, or certain workshops, a lot of times I'll hear like, there'll be like this emphasis on like how frequently one is having sex or jacking off or, you know, swiping. And I always, it always seemed like, oh, so there, is there like a pitch count that like at this threshold, it's cool. It's like, you know, like you said, it's about that 
your relationship with your sexuality because then you can jack off three, four times a day if that is healthy for you and you can do that in a healthy way without tearing your dick apart. <laughs> I can't, you know, I have to, I have to watch that, uh, watch out for that because then sometimes people get angry at me. They're like, your dick's not working. I was like, yeah, I broke it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Call me in eight days. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, how did you find, how'd you find the community? How'd you find this world? Yeah. And, and I, I want to answer that question, Please. but the thing that you said about uh, the pitch count, right? Yeah. And like, it, the reason why that's actually important early on when someone's like, when someone's spiraling out of control with their sexual mm. behavior, like there are some people who emptied their bank accounts, some people who had cheated on their partner hundreds of times indiscriminately, um, bringing disease into the house. It's like, you, you're off your axis, like something needs to stop, yeah. right? And so having a pitch count or having abstinence for a specified period of time is actually a great palate cleanser. Like you mm. need to disrupt your awful behaviors and take a step back from it. Oh yeah, I'm right? okay. I'm I'm cool with that when it comes to like um to making a change or a shift. Stop, but just the just the idea of like oh like you can't possibly be healthy if you are having this much sex or this type of sex or watching this much porn or whatever. Yeah, and I like in in, in the in the SAA they don't they don't actually make that judgment against most civilians. Civilians okay. are non like people who are not in the meetings, like who who aren't addicts. They don't make that judgment against, but they say that like for people who are in the rooms, mm -hmm. like you don't have the same kind of chemistry. Yeah. But some people try to want to put someone in the room because of that, the standard they have for the people in the room. Some people can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like partners who have been cheated on or like, or, or just someone who's maybe morally superior who says, mm -hmm. oh, you're, you know, you're having sex hundreds of times a year. You may have a, or you may have a problem. I've, I've never, I've never, I stay away from that. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? I, I believe you can have as much fucking sex as you possibly want as long as you're intentional about like why and and the other partner is too and you're not hurting anybody yeah unless they want to be hurt and that's yeah. also part of the consent conversation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that was that uh I, was rough sex or bdsm something that you discovered through accepting your sexuality no you know what's really interesting i may be the most boring fucking sex addict that you'll you'll, you'll have a chance to interview because like my my arousal template is like really around deep intimacy, uh -huh. truly like intimacy and like going deep with someone, not having a bunch of different partners. Mm -hmm. BDSM has not been something okay. that's really worked for me yet. I mostly asked because of the joke. I was like, ah, oh, maybe that's the thing he found. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how he finds Lila. No, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, who knows? <laughs> uh, how did I find Lila? It's actually through Brian, Brian, Brian Stacy, who's the Your podcast partner on on the Man Amongst Men podcast, and we also run this live event series in New York called The Discerning Dick, Sexual Wisdom for the Modern Man. Mm -hmm. And that's for men who have never really done any introspection around their sexual behaviors, the forces that have shaped them. And uh, we end up having men and women come and talk about that kind of stuff. Brian ran a sexual health company called Beam, which is basically like a, a way to get yourself sexually tested and then have the results put on an app. Yeah, yeah, the the, the mail-in testing companies. Yeah, yeah. okay. Like a, just, a, you know, if someone says like, are you clean? A very easy way to be able to pull it up is on your phone. So he created that company. And when he was out doing the circuit of speaking, um, I think Lila and I ended up in an audience together listening to Brian and she and I connected there and we've become friends. Mm. And that's how I ended up at the Hacienda a few times. All right. And what, so was that your first sex party when you went to Hacienda? Yeah. 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 And yeah what well, was that like for you? It are was, you just, are you jittering? Are you, I mean, was that? It's a great was, question, man. It, it was, it was a bit surreal in, in certain respects, like to see how the most surreal part, man, and I'm still, I'm still learning how to move closer to this is to just see how, like how normal 
and how beautiful and how accepting and how exciting it can be. Being there still feels on some level like I'm doing something wrong, you know? And like watching feels like I shouldn't be watching, even though like most of the people who are doing this are like, please watch, yeah. you know? And, and so there's still, there's still a lot of hang up in here that I'm working to unravel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you end up connecting with anyone at the party? No. Uh, you know what's funny? I brought a date. Okay. It, was, it was our second date That's and why. we went to That was your second date? Yeah. That's bold. I've done that though, so I can't I can't like <laughs> I can't rag on you. Yeah, I figured maybe you'd take a first date. <laughs> I've taken a first date where it was like we basically didn't know each she was someone from Reddit who contacted me saying like, Oh, I saw you post about the sex parties, like I, that you had an extra ticket. I would like to go. We met for drinks for like a half hour a different the day before to make sure. But it was like, that was our first day. It did not go. Well. She <laughs> yes. was not about it. Oh my, she left. And I was like, all right, you want to take care. Like we made out very briefly. And then just, she was like, not into what was going on. But I was like, I stuck around. Cause like, I'm going to still have fun. Yeah. My date, my, my date, like was having fun. But then we went down into the basement where like the oh, real boy. sex oh, was yeah. happening. She was overwhelmed by that. And she was like, listen, I, I like, I can't be down here. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we went upstairs sure. and like, I, my, my job the way I saw it that night was to make sure that like she felt safe, that she felt comfortable. Sure. She was a trooper for going. And we ended up having an amazing time while we were there. And I've been, I think, to like one or two other events at the Asiend. I've been to yeah. an NSFW party also, yeah. did some naked yoga for my first time. And with Willow? Uh, was Willow her name? Is she a blonde woman? Uh, no, no, someone else. Not, not Willow. Though. I guess there are multiple uh, naked yoga practices going on. I would in, imagine there in are. The city You're in New, New York, York City. Yeah, <laughs> any given time. Yeah. Um. So you. So Sex Acts Anonymous Plateau doesn't go up, but then you go into this new one that you've been going to for like you said, like a year and a half or so. And what's 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 the difference? Why why is this something that you're still going through? No, no, no. So like oh, I, 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 when I, I, I basically. The time horizon was 2013, entered Sex Addicts Anonymous. I stayed until 2017. Mm-hmm. So I did four years there. But it was like at the midway point of, of of being there that I was like, okay, I need to, like I'm plateauing. I need to find out a way to leave. And it took me like another two years before I actually left in it's 2017. A long, it's a long time to figure out how to leave. I would have been like, just don't go. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I was I was Block worried. Their number. <laughs> Block, delete. Yeah, <laughs> unfollow. The, I think the thing I was scared about was like regressing sure. because like my life fucking took off. Like once I got my, my sex stuff handled, the, I actually left a 15 year corporate career. I started my own business. I was never more, I never felt more powerful. My sexual energy was more potent. Women, like the most extraordinary women were coming into my life. Like everything was cranking. So the idea of leaving Sex Addicts Anonymous without some sort of like, system to make sure my system was running clean um, scared me. And it was only when I found a couple of coaches who like I worked with on a daily basis for an entire year, not around sex stuff, but Mm -hmm. like, like optimizing my life, sex being a part of it. They were the ones, my bridge for leaving from like May of 2017 to May of 2018. And after I was done working with them, um, I felt stable. Like, and I haven't had any issues uh, since. Mm -hmm. So I'm not part of a, Sex oh, I meant program. the the men's group that you went to instead. Oh, well, the men's group. The it men's seems group like is, it seems like that has maybe filled a, a spot. It, it's it, you know, like it's interesting you bring that up. I'd never really thought about it as as like a progression of the. I, I haven't really connected those two things. You didn't miss the all the sharing stuff from Sex Addicts Anonymous, even if you didn't it's like. Because me, like when I left Hyde, I 
I was like, I spent four years doing seminars and random like emergency school meetings and share over sharing for four years. I got to college and I was like, I don't have an outlet right. for this me just wanting to share. So I I end up doing that with partners where I, I'd be the type where we go on a date and we're going to be up till five a.m. talking and sharing everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't know where else to put that. That's really cool. It's it's cool that you bring that up. I don't think I connected the dots there. I can I don't think you see. Yeah, because I don't think you can do four years of of a twelve step program, um, like like that, and then just be chill, not have share sharing all the time. Yeah. I, well, I, I've I've always had a coach sure. of some kind and like whatever. But like you're right, uh, it was almost a perfect overlap. Like leaving Sex Addicts Anonymous and uh no, leaving my coaching with with those mm-hmm. two was in May of 2018. And then, yeah. And then I I joined the the men's group like right around that time. So it has been like this seamless transition. I think all men, this is one of the things that most men don't have in their life. They don't have a place where they can go and speak openly about their deepest insecurities. They wouldn't know how to, they feel unsafe about Mm -hmm. it. And I had the benefit of going to Sex Addicts Anonymous where like I had a chance to see all these guys open the kimono, dump their, like the deepest shit out there and no one judged them and no one judged me. And I did not know that male relationships could ever be like that. Did not, had no clue. Mm-hmm. And for the last six years, six and a half going on seven years now, I've forged some of the deepest relationships in my life. And here's the cool part, man, is that some of my best friends who I've had in my life for 30 years where our relationship was very about like boobs, beers, baseball, like right. and, and our bowel movements, basically for the last 30 years, once I started to change my relationships, I've been able to deepen with these guys. So yeah. I don't care like what anyone says, like you men are willing, you just need to get them at the right moment and lead them down the path to talk about this stuff. And lead is the important part because once you put out your beacon for like, hey, we're allowed to have feelings, they may not do it on Facebook, but privately, even if it's just one-on-one in the beginning, they might go like, Hey man, I got feelings too. And now, now you got a buddy and now you guys can share feelings. And then maybe because you are, you're open about like online about this, then like another buddy comes in and is like, Hey, I heard you guys might have feelings. Can I, (laughs) I have feelings. Can I come in? And then, and then it grows. We just need to know it's safe to, to feel that. I mean, that's why I talk about with, with, um, and that's why I share with a lot of you people out here listening who are in these like butt fuck parts of the country and they'll be like, I'm the only one in my town, so I could never talk to anyone. No, you can. If you put up the slutty beacon or the poly beacon or the kink beacon or the queer beacon, whatever your beacons are, if you put that out there, people will see it and it won't be public, at least at first. But like, you'll, I promise you'll have the other people in your buttfuck town of Alabama will come up to you and be like, Hey, I didn't know that we were allowed to like this, but I do too. Can we talk about it? Oh, hey, I don't think monogamy's for me either. Because I get a shit ton of people. Even before I started the podcast, when I was just being kind of like accidentally sex positive, like I didn't know that was a phrase, but I was just doing it. And then people would come up. They were like, oh my God, I'm curious about group sex. I'm curious about poly. What's your thoughts on this? Because you people will know that you are a safe person to talk to. And men need that, really. I mean, in this day and age, like we really fucking need it. If we're going to make the shift so we can kind of follow the women along on the path that they're forging. Hell yeah. I, the, the word that you just used that most guys like don't really, I don't think they understand is this concept of being safe to talk to. Mm-hmm. Like most guys would never use the word of like, oh, I don't feel unsafe because it's not masculine. It's not right. manly. But they absolutely don't feel safe. They don't trust to be able to open. And I think your point about being the beacon is a really powerful one. Like all of 
the community that I've created now around opening up around this stuff has been because like I raised my hand and I was like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this discerning dick event and I'm going to talk openly about sex addiction for the first time publicly. And then I'm going to talk about it on NPR and then I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to like, and I do a lot of corporate work still. We talked about this before we started recording you know, 95% of my income comes from like going to very conservative financial institutions. And I've lost significant sums of money because someone's done a Google search on me. Um, and, and, and they basically said, Oh, Dominic's a sex addict. We can't have him on our stage at this insurance company or this there there's a stigma around sex addiction that doesn't quite exist for someone who's like recovered from narcotics or from alcohol. There's a stigma around anything around just the word sex Sex, period, Put sex as a prefix for anything. And it's just automatically going to be a red flag. Are there any other things that you've, you know, you've lost work over um, because of the work that you do now? Um, a lot of it, I I think a lot of it, like, I don't even know about because like people do a search and they're like, don't, don't like, don't bring it to this guy. So you assume it's just probably that they found the sex addiction stuff and it's like, well, the one time there was like a, uh, there were two times. Okay. Actually, it's funny. Dr. David Light, come back to this. Okay. Um, one of my largest speaking contracts with like a huge financial services firm was like an ongoing contract. Like they, they hired me out for five or 10 speaking gigs at a time. And I'd given a speaking gig to this one group where they ended up on my email list. Now I have two separate email lists, one for corporate, one for like my sex, the man amongst men podcast. Mm-hmm. I had just done the, the, the David lay interview mm-hmm. and it, the email was going out about like, he's an author. He's a therapist. He's wrote, he's written the book, ethical porn for dicks and the myth of sex addiction. Got ethical porn for dicks in there. I, yeah. I got it too. Yeah. <laughs> and that, when that email went out, it also went to my corporate email to my corporate clients oh, as man. well. <laughs> so there was a woman, a financial advisor in the audience who, who, who saw it, sent it up the flagpole to her HR department, which then sent it to the, the, my client. And basically they were like, Hey, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're like the third rail right now. We can't touch you because this woman feels unsafe and you know, I, I can understand it. So I lost that. There was another speaking gig that uh, like was supposed to happen this year where someone called me up and said, hey, we had you approved, but one of them went, the board members went and searched you, found your history of sex addiction, and we have to pull the plug on you. Mm-hmm. Um, because they didn't go deeper. Like They see the headline, right? Right. They don't like read or listen. I can understand that, Billy, because on certain level, like, being an alcoholic and recovering from that is one thing. But let's, let's say like you're a woman- who has been raped before, mm-hmm. or you're a woman who feels like, what if I'm alone with this guy at a conference? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and her safety can feel threatened. It's different than being around someone who's like a uh, recovered alcoholic. So I understand why there's difference, but at the same time, I wish there would be more room for discussion yeah. versus just like, you know what, let's just cancel it and not even to, have it. To address the difference between the feeling of safety and the reality of safety. Hmm. Which are which are you know are separate things that but we, they're both real things that need to be addressed. I got my friend, uh, a friend of mine. She she taught me that is like even if someone thinks that she's been sexually assaulted, and then objectively, if you looked like if you looked at a videotape and had audio and you watched like it was very clearly not an assault. 
she's probably still feels assaulted and that's not going to change no matter how many facts you throw at her so we can take we can tend to her and make sure she gets what she needs emotionally but then maybe we're not going to arrest this person because we go like yeah no this is not what happened was that that is is that a um, real situation um no just the idea well uh, i mean it's a situation that there's so many examples for and yours is is one of them the the reality is she is safe she is in objectively safe uh, you are not. Uh, you are not a violent sex no, addict, no. right? You are not. But um, but she still feels unsafe, and like that's real. That's her truth, and we can throw all the facts at her, and she would still feel unsafe. Likely, people. But it doesn't unsafe. mean. But it doesn't mean that you should just get canceled for her not feeling safe. That's right. I mean, people felt unsafe with alcoholics before, yeah. in the past and and people who are in Narcotics Anonymous, but then there are plenty of people in the financial services space who are recovered mm-hmm. and, and who get applauded for it. And that was only as a result of having some of these more nuanced discussions around this stuff. So the, the current work, tell me more about the discerning dick because that sounds... A lot of like something I do, but I'm curious where you guys go with it. <laughs> uh, so we, we we tackle a different topic every time. So we, we've had conversations in the past around pornography. Okay. So it's not like a sex addiction thing. No, not at all. Okay, not not at all. No, not at all. It, it's, it's really around like a forum for men to openly discuss some of the forces mm. that have shaped their sexuality that they don't even really know about. So now as someone who does something for men, how do you, who seems to be self-aware I've heard some gl- glimmers of things on the podcast where I go like, okay, I think he knows. So how do you stay inclusive for a thing that's for men, which whenever we see things go like ger men, uh, we like we're usually thinking of straight guys, but that's like as of all orientations. Yeah. Is it is the work that you do for men meaning masculine people or men dick havers? Yeah. What's one of one of the first things we do when we when we set the container um, at the discerning dick is we say, listen, we want to be very clear that this is a conversation for heterosexual men because Brian and I are both heterosexual men and we speak only from our own experience mm-hmm. and and also th- this is a group of men who aren't really interested in having these kinds of conversations and we're trying to build bridges there. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're speaking specifically to these guys. We're not therapists. We're not doctors. We're not experts. We're just speaking from our own experience. And by the way, like we welcome everyone who's interested in having this conversation and supporting the men who are looking to do this kind of work. Um, in the future, like we <gasps> we do hope to expand our our knowledge base and our conversations to people who don't identify as men or people or, or gay men who want to have the same kind of conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. But right now, like we were very intentional around being focused on a specific niche that we feel we're equipped to talk to, to serve most effectively because we're really drawing upon our own, our own experience. Right. Naturally. And you, and you, so you share that at the beginning of every uh, discerning deck. That's yep. great. That's good. Yeah. Um, Cause I think there's a lot, of, there's a lot of these man, man workshops. I mean, it isn't, that's a, you know, it's an industry of itself. A lot of it, I don't know how much they're taking into uh, account, like trans dudes or, right. you know, queer guys or, you know. I messed I mean, that up once. So, yeah. like, I, my first two discerning dicks, um, I did it like I was very, very conscious of the container I created. Sure. And then the third one, I was sloppier with. Like, I didn't mention that, like, that, that, with that level of intentionality. And there was a, a man who came up to me afterwards and gave me like amazing feedback. His name is Brandon. He was like, listen, dude, um, I got to give you the heads up. You, you didn't set the container the way you did the first two. And I brought my gay friend to this meeting tonight because uh. like I'd felt safe the first two times the way you'd set it up. And within the first 20 minutes of like, 
of, of the event, he turned to me and he was like, I don't feel like I belong here. Right. Because all, all, how does that feel when you hear that? It, it made my heart sink. Like, cause I was like, fuck, that wasn't my intention. But like, he gave me the gift of calling, of calling me forward, mm. not calling me out, like calling me forward. He did in this beautiful you have way. that trademark calling forward. I like that. <laughs> I, like that. I, I think uh, one of the guys from my men's group may have that trademark. He's the one who coined it. And, and from that point forward, I, and, and like for the last year and a half, I've had a lot of conversations, not just at the discerning dick, but like in a lot of different forms where that piece of advice allowed me to be really thoughtful about inclusivity in every container I set. Yeah. Cause it doesn't have to be a thing where like, we're always doing asides constantly, but I like how you say set the container. I don't know if that's like a general term or not. Um, but it's like, I went to college, I promise, but <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a degree thing. No. Um, but the idea of saying the container where it's like, okay, we're going to use all this like heteronormative language throughout the thing, but like right in the beginning, we're acknowledging that there's more, but this is what we got. And I, I think that's great. I think it's really important. This show, I try to like make sure I'm trying to get. I mean, I try not to like you know do token booking, but like I try to make sure that we have a varied, a, a varied experiences on the show. Whether it's like, oh, I you know I don't have enough. I don't tend to have a lot of like people of color on the show. Okay, that's a thing I'm gonna try to intentionally look for as yep, opposed same. to like yeah. And I think that's important, especially like as straight cis dudes. I mean, me cis for now. I don't know. Fucking, I think I'm gonna get gerrymandered out of being a man. <laughs> why because like okay so the way gender theory is going and maybe you can help this with me as we close it's like um as we redefine as we separate sex and gender and then as we're like really reconstructing what gender is and what the options are um i am not i'm torn between two things either i am a man and i am a man in the way in which i am a man in so that would go under the category of there's no wrong way to be a man uh, masculinity does not have to be the er and ah and the ah whatever it is uh, that I don't connect with, right? Or there's the concept of uh, you know, being in this body that I have, but there is this man thing, but I don't really fit into it, and that's okay. And then I'm more of like a a gender queer or non-binary person who still wants to dress like shit, like. <laughs> and the reason why I've never even really moved forward, ever even contemplating trying on a new pronoun for size, because like if I change my pronouns and I still look like this, people would be mad. I'm convinced. You see, you laugh. Some of you have emailed me, be like, "What are you talking about? People would love you." No, they wouldn't. And he he's laughing because he knows it. <laughs> they think I'm mocking him, but it's it's truly just because I. And I, I think that that is something in gender theory that's like really confusing me in that if there is no such thing as being a man, like just the, you are as you are, then what's the purpose of, a, of um, identifiers like genderqueer and non-binary? Um, but these can be super valid if we've decided, yes, there is man and woman and they have these typical traits and if you don't fall into them that's cool that's awesome here's some other things you could identify with so i don't know where i fall into because i've never walked into a group of men i've never looked at a group of men i've never listened to a group of men and been like unless they're comedians i've never been just been like yeah those are my people like never i've never mm. fit in with that mm. um but i don't know so basically i'm kind of waiting to see how it all shakes out and then i'll be like oh, i'll change my fucking thing in my bio if i need to you, you mind if i give you a little bit of a reflection please I see your experience of never walking into a group of men and saying those and never saying those are my people as less of a sexuality issue and a masculinity issue as more of a a childhood issue around like being bullied and being outcast mm. by groups of men. And like you just don't you haven't 
trusted men for very good reason. And like I, I would, I would expect myself to shut off groups of men if that was my experience as well. And so, I mean, if, if you're, if you're down for it, I think a part of it is less about the label and more about like healing the relationship around like what you believe guys to be and like being open to the idea of maybe you, maybe there is your group of men out there that you just haven't found yet. That sounds like I would have to talk to men though. (laughs) That that (laughs) might require you interacting with men. Dude, we've been talking for the last hour. Oh, this, this I can, this I can do. And one-on-one I'm great. Uh, but like you put me in a group of dudes. I was like, if we're not talking about football, I'm going to struggle. I feel you. I feel you on that. Yeah. I feel you on that. I'm I'm much better in one-on-one than I am in groups too. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't necessarily see that for you as 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 in the very little that I sure. fucking know about you right now. <laughs> I think it's more about like what you had to endure than like some label or mm. yeah. Okay, interesting, man. Well, uh, tell us where can people find you? Where can, if they're interested in your workshops, um, where where can they go learn more? Yeah, so. The best place you can find us is uh, the Man Amongst Men podcast. Amongst, not among. Okay, amongst, everybody. It's hard to find. If you, yeah, <laughs> the Man Amongst Men. And again, that is, uh, like the podcast is specifically geared towards yeah. straight heterosexual men for the very reasons I just mentioned before. Um, but we end up having like half of our listeners are women and, and uh, you know, yeah. I'm going to listen to the Dr. David Lay episode because I'm very curious what he had to say about the uh, the sex and porn addiction stuff. Yeah, I know great. I know his stance. But. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Okay. You'll, you'll like that one. Uh, and then do innerwork.com, do innerwork.com. And that's where you can find like where our live events are, the discerning dick. Uh, I'm not sure when this is going to be released, but we have one coming up in November 14th. Okay. Um, here in the city at, uh, the assemblage and yeah, do innerwork.com. And then at Dominic Q is my Instagram handle. And I'm actually really like so the, the conversation that you just opened about like as a man, who's now opening my mind and understanding like all of the different definitions of masculinity and what it could mean to be a man. For those of you who have gone to have explored farther and wider than I have, I would love for you to reach out to me and like, tell me where I can educate myself. So like go to doinnerwork.com. There's an email list that you can, or like a, a way to email me through there. Go to Instagram at Dominic Q and DM me and like, tell me, how I can do better even in the conversations that we had today, mm. what I can do to educate myself to be more open-minded or to like understand some of the language because this is still new territory for me. So take it easy better. on him a little bit, everybody. <laughs> you can go rough too. I yeah. can handle that shit. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, 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 would, uh, I wouldn't be cutting us off except I know you have your group because um, I feel like I could talk to you for uh, quite a bit, but uh, this was fun. Uh, we should chat again sometime. This is great. Let's do it, buddy. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Why don't you say goodbye to everybody? Bye, everybody. I think the only thing I'm more uncomfortable with than male intimacy uh, is podcast intimacy. Sitting across from those blue eyes for an hour, I was just like, yeah, so like, are we friends now? I have to like, I had to dial back for a second and remind myself, like, nah, Billy, you just had a really great connection for an hour. (laughs) Chill the fuck out. Uh, that was great. You can let me know what you think on Twitter. I am at the Billy Presida, uh, or you can make a comment on Instagram. Remember, I have Instagram again at Billy is Proceda. We're also going to have an episode comment thread available on the Man Whore Podcast Facebook fan page. So make sure you go like and comment over there. Want to share your, your thoughts, your questions, your comments, your titty pictures? You can do so by sending me an email at manwhorepod at gmail.com. 
Don't miss my bonus episode tomorrow with sex therapist Rachel Klachewski. That's going to be available to all of my $5 and up members at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be dropping like a major life update next week. Those of you who like obsessively follow me on Instagram, you you probably kind of have an idea what I'm going to announce. And uh, those of you who don't, probably don't. <laughs> um, it, but, however, if you are uh, subscribed to my mailing list, you're probably going to find out in the next day or two. Because I think I'm going to be sending out a little email blast. Just kind of touching base with the fan horse. I wish everyone luck as you start auditioning uh, people to play your significant other during cuffing season. Because it's definitely starting to get chilly out there. Stay warm, everybody. Stay slutty.